It's time for WAKR's This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Cartridge World in North Canton, your home for copiers, printers, and supplies. This week, we're focusing on sophisticated new cyber threats that pose a real danger to both individual consumers and national security. I heard about them through various sources, including a report in Ars Technica this week about nearly impossible to remove malware that came pre-installed on multiple lines of Android devices, including phones and TVs. A Washington Post report about a Russia-linked malware strain that's designed to disrupt electrical power generation and is capable of causing actual physical harm, and artificial intelligence tools that completely fabricate information like non-existent court precedents that just this week got a New York attorney in some serious hot water with a federal judge. So to try to make sense of this all and figure out what, if anything, we might be able to do about it, I talked to Dr. John Nicholas, who's been teaching cybersecurity classes at the University of Akron for many years, but who just this week started a new job as the director for the Center of Information and Communication Sciences at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. There's always new threats coming out. We know that. And we know that defenders need to keep on their toes. But I saw a couple of stories that I thought were particularly troubling. One was a report about some malicious Android malware that they found on like 50,000 Android devices. And it was really, really hard, pretty much impossible for users to delete this. And the reason why I thought this was particularly interesting is because back in the day, I mean, the reason why I got so interested in being a technology journalist and looking into this is because I had an instance of this type of thing where I had a kind of malware running on my Android device. I got a brand new Android And no matter what I did, it kept doing all this bizarre stuff and I kept resetting it. I'd take it back to the print store at the time. And the only thing that they could do was reset it. They couldn't actually do anything with it. The difference is that the one I had, it was obvious that something was going on because, for example, it would turn itself on like you would see the camera go on. And I I wasn't turning it on. Uh, Apps would start without my knowledge uh, or consent. Uh, It was actually sending text messages that I didn't know about until I got the bill for them on its own to Singapore (laughs) or no Malaysia. And, And so I went to the Sprint store and I was like, well, this is crazy. Why are you charging me for this? And they're like, well, you know, there was a text message from your phone. And I was like, well, I don't know anybody in Malaysia. I mean, you can look at my past 10 years of bills and you'll see that I've never sent a text message overseas ever. Well, that's not our problem. And, you know, eventually I dropped them as a carrier and I I got a new phone and those things stopped once I did that. But I had to take heroic measures because both my account with Sprint was compromised and my device was compromised. But I could tell, you know, I could tell something was going on. But what I saw in this recent story was, you know, all these devices were infected out of the box. They came with the malware pre-installed. And in that instance, I don't think anybody would be able to tell, you know, that anything was amiss with their device. So that would be pretty scary as a consumer. 
Well, it, it is. And one of the things that we teach our students in, in the field is that when you set up a device for the first time, you should get a baseline reading so you know what normal looks like. And so by these hackers sneaking things in on, on devices where somebody are going to set a baseline, they have basically made their virus look like normal behavior now, which makes it very, very hard to detect for anybody. Right. So as a consumer, I mean, how would you even know? I mean, like I said, when I had this issue, I could tell because my device was behaving weirdly. But with this newer malware, people can't really tell. Well, no. And if they if they got it in even before the antivirus was installed or it flies under the radar of, of the antivirus, even even it's not going to pick it up. And and really, unless you happen to read about it in this case, we, you wouldn't notice anything because all of the behavior would appear to be normal again because it was right out of the box. So that's how it behaved from day one. So th this is some next level malware, probably aided by machine learning and artificial intelligence on some level to have been able to, to sneak its way in at such a low level. Well, and that brings up the one of the other topics I wanted to talk about, which is, of course, AI and all the conversations that have been going on now about it. One of the articles that I read today said the FCC might need to get involved with some regulation because what they're finding is there's going to likely be an increase in consumer frauds, robocalls, and that kind of thing that can be done by these artificial intelligence systems that are calling people and they sound very, very real and they have an even higher chance of scamming people than just regular humans do. Well, they do. And they will have the ability to do deep scans on information as people interact with them too, to put things together. So they're going to be able to Almost, I, I can see a day very soon where it would almost feel like the bots online feel like they know what you're going to say before you say it because they're going to have so much data at their exposure. Yeah, this is a new a new era with the, with the artificial intelligence and governing it and governing what is real information and what's not real information and trying to determine what is a deep fake and what is a real video now nowadays is is going to get harder and harder. And from what I can gather, it sounds like the people in Washington are at least starting to clue into that this is an issue, but the cat's out of the bag now. And I was just so dismayed when these various technology companies, now all of them have done it, whether it's Microsoft or Google or ChatGPT, they're all out there. And in fact, Microsoft just released their artificial intelligence code to people for free. So people all over the world can modify it and use it and whatever. So it's definitely out of the bag. But they did so even knowing that these kinds of systems can lie, can put out fake information, and they didn't put enough guardrails in as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't sound like they did. So what are the rest of us supposed to do about it, including people like you, whose job it is to figure that out? We are in, in, in the process of figuring out. And then when it changes so much and you have this sort of Wild West approach, was, it's the same thing we had when the internet came online. Everybody said, well, let's see what this is first, and then let's regulate it. That to me is almost backwards thinking. I would rather keep some something contained and slowly let it come out as opposed to go, well, we've turned it loose. Now, how do we rein it back in? But that's the way we've been handling technology. As far as the rest of us go, you know, I think we're just going to have to keep on track of what tools can help to counter those things. Um, it's going to be for every bad thing that comes out with the robocalls and all that and that getting real, there's going to be more and more technology, hopefully on the other end, usually by your provider of some kind, like the spam call notices now that are built into a lot of things. And so the only way that we're going to be able to counter it is for somebody to use artificial intelligence 
governments that can recognize the artificial intelligence that's trying to fool you. And, and I think we're there now. I don't think that we're going to be at the mercy of the developers who are going to develop the stuff that can help us. We can't really figure it out ourselves. You know? hmm. And that's interesting when you mentioned the developers that developed it, because I just saw a headline the other day and I figured this was probably at least of interest to somebody in your line of work, which was like thousands of new programmer jobs and you don't have to know anything about programming to do it. And it, it was all kind of based on the idea that people will be using artificial intelligence to generate code who know nothing about generating code. And I thought to myself, huh, this sounds yeah. like a recipe for disaster to me, you know? It sounds like, you know, giving the keys of the car to a 14-year-old and say, your feet can reach the pedals here, go drive. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And that's sort of where I take issue with these sorts of thing is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And there seems to be this, well, if the general populace has it, then those who have power can't use it against us. But the other side of that is now the general populace has it. And we're making this assumption that maybe everybody has the same ethical values as we do when they get their hands on this. And they may not. And that could be a problem, too. I think we're being very irresponsible with AI right now. Well, I think so too. Now, I did hear that the Europeans, the EU, they're starting to put some safeguards into place and they seem to be a little bit ahead of us in terms of privacy mm -hmm. restrictions as well. But I'm not sure even they're going to be fast enough to counter this because it's kind of going at the speed of light, really. And so so I'm definitely concerned. I was also concerned when I saw this week about some new Russian malware that's been discovered that specifically targets industrial systems that actually can physically do harm to things like power grids. Fortunately for us here in the United States, we use a different system than they use in Europe and Asia. So right now, the Russian software is only targeting those systems. But it probably won't be long if they can figure out how to do things to the electrical grid in that system. It's all kind of the same logic and technology behind it. So as soon as they figure out how to do it to our equipment, we're going to have a real issue. And from what I've been reading is they've been trying to get stuff planted. So when they do figure it out, they'll be able to flip the switch and hit us with it. And so we should be concerned about that. I don't think there's an immediate threat to the United States electrical system at the moment, but there certainly is to Europe and Asia. And they've been testing it in Ukraine with some success. So we know it works. So, you know, as we think about this, it's like I personally have experienced issues with Android malware that can't be deleted. I also had a Dell computer at right around the same time that had been infected like straight from the factory. It was around that time when Dell had those problems with their supply chain over in China and things were showing up in the United States and they were already infected. There was nothing you could do. I mean, you could put an antivirus in, but that was after the fact and it couldn't do anything to delete it. And now as I'm kind of adding these different layers, the industrial control attacks, the AI, et cetera, I'm looking at it kind of from the bottom of the funnel. I'm the consumer. I'm just the regular person trying to go to the ATM or get my groceries or, you know, get gas at the pump or whatever. And I feel like to a certain degree, and I just want to know whether or not I'm being unduly paranoid because maybe I have proclivity to do that. As a consumer, are there any safeguards for me? I mean, are the good guys in any kind of a position to really protect me from these kinds of advanced 
persistent threats? Well, um, that's sort of a, a yes and no question. So the good guys are perpetually watching these things. And there are all kinds of consortiums and groups that meet together so people can compare the threats that they're seeing. You know, I know in Northeastern Ohio, there's one that has Goodyear and Progressive and Sherwin-Williams, as well as all the other small businesses. And they meet once a month and they discuss the threats. And so everybody, all the good guys are doing their due diligence and keeping up as fast as they can. You know, the downside is now with the artificial intelligence and machine learning code that has been released out there, there's a lot more people out there who are using that to write the code. So it's writing itself faster. And now the good guys are having to catch up with AI and machine learning to learn to counter this. So there will be things that slip through and we will need to be diligent, but it's also the sky is not falling, so to speak. Oh, okay, good. Because, you know, sometimes because I'm one of these people that like I don't do cybersecurity, but I'm interested in it. And I'm a little bit obsessed with it. But to a certain degree, sometimes I think a little knowledge is dangerous because I worry like, am I too worried about this or am I just worried enough because I have a little bit more knowledge than the average person that's walking around saying, hey, you know, my phone turns on. I guess it must be okay." Well, it seems to me like you're doing all the right things. You're keeping your knowledge current and you're reacting to what you know. And really all any of us can do, even those of us who are at the cutting edge, are to keep our systems updated and make sure that we back things up so we don't lose it and not fall for phishing scams and things like that. There's all the best practices that we can all still do to protect ourselves a little bit. And if you look at some of the updates with the Android system and the Apple system and some of the new Microsoft tools, they've got a whole lot more security built into them. And there are all kinds of uh, two-factor authentication systems out there that can help protect you also. So if you, if you do all of these cybersecurity best practices, you'll mitigate your risk tremendously. The thing that was of concern to me about this new malware, though, on the Android phones, people have been after Google for years and years and years to clean up the Google Play Store. And you keep saying that that they're building more safeguards into it. And yet every so often, and it's been fairly often in my memory over the past 10 years, when somebody says, oh, there's a new exploit and you can just download it from the Google Play Store. I mean, it's not like you have to do anything special, like sideload something from some weirdo Russian site or go into the deep dark web. You just get your own phone and you download something from Google Play Store and it's supposed to be safe, but it's not. So I keep wondering, like, who's going to get Google to be responsible about this? Well, you would think market pressures would do that. But if you're an iPhone user, then you tend to be an iPhone user. And if you're an Android phone user, you tend to be an Android phone user. And really, you know, you almost got to become disloyal to get out of that trap. And a lot of Apple people think they can't be hacked, but that's also not true. Apple is hackable, but they do a lot more with their store to make sure that that stuff doesn't get through, but things still can get through, right? I mean, what they verify is that it meets their standards. They don't dig into the code to actually see what's in there, and, and no company does that. But I'm thinking, you know, if we're all connected now with any company that's going to provide you any kind of Google Play or, or Apple Store kind of situation, that they should be making sure that what we are downloading is not going to infect our phones. And hopefully market pressures will do that. And I think it might take something where, you know, something like 50% of the Apple phones or 50% of the Google phones one day just shut down and then I'll go, oh my God, we got to fix this, you know? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and the other thing is that when I had my issues, not only did I have an infected phone that couldn't be fixed with resetting, when I went to the Sprint store and said, hey, you know, you need to replace this. It's not working right. And they're like, well, we're doing everything we can and we're not replacing it. I mean, you, you can buy a new phone. That's what we can do for you. And I said, okay, I want out of my contract. And they're like, well, no, we're not going to let you out of your contract unless you pay us 
$350. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. I said, well, okay. So what you've done is you have supplied me with a phone that can't be fixed with an account that can't be secured. And then you won't let me take my business elsewhere unless I pay you. And they said, yes, that's right. And I said, well, I don't think that's right. And I went to the FCC and I raised heck with the FCC and filed a formal complaint. And then lo and behold, they turned around and said, oh, okay, we're going to let you out of it. But right. it took a lot of effort. And most people will not go to that extent. But I was mad enough that I did. But regular people shouldn't have to do that. And that's why I think so many people are at the mercy of these technology companies that lock you in to their device and lock you into a contract and then lock you into paying them essentially ransom to get out of a contract that's really just one-sided on their side. Yeah, and that, that I think is to be something that the FCC is going to have to look into with business practices and all of that. So I, th I think it comes back to, we have all these regulatory committees in place, the FCC, the SEC, all of these companies, I think are going to have to come together and say, if you offer a product that is a communications product where people can have disinformation or have their identity stolen, then then you are responsible for protecting that data. But yeah, I don't know with that. I think that really needs to be a global initiative. I mean, to me, with all of this technology, I don't know that you can solve some of these problems country by country by country at some point. And I know may, some people may not want to hear this, but that might be the first real United Nations law is that global communications have to somehow be protected by these companies. But I don't know how where you even begin to start that process. <laughs> right. Because realistically speaking, it's like you cannot conduct your business or your personal life without one of these devices or several of these devices. I mean, we all operate on networks of many, many hundreds, thousands, millions of devices. And if the government will not protect us, and say to these companies, look, it's pretty clear that you're putting out technology that's affecting people's lives in a bad way. Somebody needs to hold them liable for this because it's not like as a user, I could go and sue Sprint or Verizon or whatever. They would brush me off like a fly. I wouldn't get anywhere with that. But it has to come from the top. And I don't necessarily see the will for them to do that. Although I've heard some rumblings that maybe the FCC and the FTC they might be starting to think about doing something. But it seems like they're going pretty darn slow on this. Well, and as usual is the case, there's all kinds of lobbyists arguing both sides of the case. And while we sit there and argue dogma, the world is a rapidly changing place. And there also needs to be some mechanism when we do address this that those agencies should be able to react quickly on their own without too much interference, because it may require that to just to protect communications nationwide. Well, thank you for taking time with me and good luck in your new job. I'm not sure that we solved any of the problems, but I think we came to at least a couple conclusions. One, we both kind of agreed that the government needs to step up, right? Okay. And we both agree that consumers need to be vigilant. Right. And other than that, I'm not sure what else there is. Just we all have to be on our toes and we all have to push a government to do more and hopefully through social influencing, get the larger companies to do more because it really, it's all on their backs now. That was Dr. John Nicholas, who's the director of the Center for Information and Communication Sciences at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. And I'm Jean Destro. Thanks for listening. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week.
This has been This Week in Tech with Gene Destro on WAKR, brought to you by Cartridge World in North Canton.